0: What's up everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Indie Music Money podcast with your host Rob Boss. On this podcast, I will be breaking down over a hundred different revenue streams within the music industry while talking to um, artists, producers, and other professionals within the music industry. On this episode, I have Robin Marks who I am um, connected with on Clubhouse um, and a lot of other platforms. And he does a lot of great stuff. So I wanted to get him on the pod to give you guys some value. So please make sure to um, check out Robin after this. I will have all of his links in the uh, description of the episode. Please um, subscribe so you don't miss um, an episode. And yeah, thank you so much for tuning in. Be safe. Robin, thank you so much for uh, joining me. I know that you do a lot. And so I kind of just wanted to like pick your brain, but um, okay. So you, you like used to tour and stuff, right? Like you were, yeah. So can you just like give me kind of your like background and then like where you're at now?
1: Absolutely. Uh, Thanks for having me on. I'm really pumped about this. Um, I hope I can offer your audience some value and I'll just start with my story. Um, You know, the long story is I started rapping when I was nine years old, you know what I mean? I I grew up in New York in the late 80s, early 90s. You know, my first hip hop experience was looking out my friend's back window and seeing Big Daddy Kane and Bismarck E like doing a video shoot. And I was like, I want to do that. You know what I'm saying? And, you know, I started rapping in high school and I was known as like the rapper guy. So there's like the jock, there's the nerd and there was like the rapper, right? So when my, when my, um, classmates were applying for colleges i was sending my demo tape to you know record labels so i would go on the back of tapes and i would you know find the address whoever the a&r was and i would send them my demo tape that i was making on a karaoke machine in my room right and wow. when i graduated from high school instead of like going the traditional route or going into the service or going to college. Um I went to a community college for a short bit and got a Pell Grant refund about eight hundred dollars. And I was like, oh my God, I'm rich. You know, I'm I'm gonna take this and I'm gonna go join the Wu Tang. And I was like, that was when, that was like you know me what i wanted to do was join the wu-tang like that was my dream that's what i wanted to do so funny thing is my friend and rap partner um his name was repo man his name is darren um his brother was actually roommates with capadonna from wu-tang so he went up there before me he was like like you got to come up rob like trust me it's gonna be on when you get here 17 years old i'm like you know what running away from home Taking my eight hundred dollars and I'm going to join the Wu Tang. So when people were in college, you know, in their first and second year of college, I was in Staten Island trying to join the Wu Tang. Um, Fast forward, I never did any music. the Wu-Tang but I did learn a lot uh being around Capadonna and around his roommate Blue and my friend Darren um made made some mistakes as a young man up there running around um you know in New York City in the 90s you know I'm saying when Wu-Tang was at the height of their peak me like running running around with a Wu-Wear shirt um but again learned a lot and then I kind of had to go home with my tail between my legs and I went back to school worked some odd jobs and then um in 2000 I came across a company called End of the Week, which was an open mic in New York City, had just started that year, and I won their first ever MC Challenge. MC Challenge is a five-round hip-hop competition, freestyle, written, acapella, beat juggling, um, and cypher, trading bars with another MC, and I won that. So when I won that, I kind of got taken into the fold and went under the wings of the founders. Um, big shout out to Jason Williams, who he passed away last year. He's one of the founders, uh, rest in peace to him. And from there, I was just like, yo, this is bigger than New York. Like we got to take this worldwide. I remember it was like, like it was yesterday. I was in the room with um, two of the founders, James and Jason, and we were talking about like how we could do it. And they were like, how, how are you going to do it? I was like, trust me. I took a book bag full of CDs, bag of clothes, about 500 bucks. And I just went to Europe and started doing shows based on one contact that I had. And from there, I turned that into like a seven year mission. I lived in Paris for two years. I launched chapters in France, um, the Netherlands, in Germany. Uh, I lived in Saragossa, Spain for four months. So I had this really rich experience of touring, but also Taking nothing and turning it into something like planting a seed and watching it grow today end of the week is in 15 countries countries all all over the world. And we bring the champions from those competitions in different languages to compete in a multilingual championship with multilingual judges. It's like mind blowing the French chapter just recently had a special air on PBS. So it's like now growing into this cultural phenomenon that I'm just happy I had a, a part in.
0: Wow, that's amazing. So, wait, so, okay, so, so you're, you just like go there and you like plant this seed, as in you like, you're like, wow, I think it'd be really cool to start this like chapter here. So, how, how do you actually like grow that then?
1: Yep. I think with anything, not just with hip hop or music or rap, you know, whatever it is, I think with anything, it just takes a seed, right? A seed can come in different forms. A seed could be an idea, a seed could be a person, a seed could be an actual seed, right? You know, like, Like we have plants, you know, in in the studio, right? And, And they come from seeds, you know. In organizing events specifically, it was really important for me to get my feet on the ground and connect with people who are already in the mix. So, for example, the first city that I went to on behalf of End of the Week and also for my solo career as an artist was London. And I have a quick story. I got off the plane with my friend Zone. You know, I, like I said, I had about 500 bucks in my pocket. I'm like, yeah, we'll be all right. You know, I'm going to sell some CDs, whatever, whatever. And then I go to the, the currency exchange. And he's like, yeah, we better exchange some money so we can have some of that money. I was like, oh, we're going to get some of those funny color bills. I'm excited. <laughs> I go and I give them, I think I gave them about $250. I said, I'm not going to exchange it all right now. I give them $250 put up the 250. And then she gave me back, I think like 150 pounds or 120 something quid. And I was like, "Uh, I'm sorry, miss, (laughs) I gave you 250. (laughs) I didn't even understand, you know, cash convert currency uh, exchange and right conversion, you know what I'm saying? I I was just like, negligent to all of that. So for me, when I got on the ground, it was important. It was important for me to connect with people who were rooted in the community there. So I met with, um, of brothers from a store called uh, Deal Real, which was like the fat beats of London at the time. It was like the record store where all of the people would come. Um, Estelle of um, American Boy fame, like she would literally be in the store with us. She calls me, hey, Webby, you know, like, she would perform there as an underground rapper. This is before American boy. I don't know if you've ever heard of foreign beggars. Um, they're a pretty big, um, London hip hop group. And they were like, just coming up then task force, just a lot of like, well-known skinny man. Um, a lot of different, um, entities of the London underground scene were there. So then it comes across this American and because I'm American, I already get a pass. It's like, Oh, you're from where Brooklyn? come over here. Let's go to the studio. Let's link up. And so I was like on radios connecting. And that was a formula that worked for every city. Find the people that were connected and just build sincere relationships. I I emailed uh, one of the guys from foreign beggars the other day, like, Hey, what's up? Let's try to do some music. So we're still connected over, you know, 20 years later.
0: I love that. Yeah. That's the whole entire thing. Yeah. And I, It's so funny because I, um, I went to a pretty small, uh, like business school, but it was like really, really close with the like music school. So I feel like I was kind of in like both. Um, and I, and I feel like the whole time we were taught like these people now that you sit with in 20 years, you're going to be working with them. And I'm like, yeah, right. And like, it's been like not even that you know what I mean it's been like five years and I'm at this point where I'm like you know who I should like hit up is like this person from school and I'm like oh my god they were right you know and it's like yeah it's one of those things like every person you meet like you can all help each other grow and like you know I don't know I just feel like it's so it's nice to like especially with like music it's really cool to work with like other people because I feel like that's how you make like the best product is when you get everybody's like creative juices flowing you know
1: yeah I think my favorite food you know is when people do that they do like the fusion it'll be like you know American you know and Argentinian fusion like and it's the same thing when it comes to not just music but just like co-creating like yeah. being creating by yourself is it's cool and it's fun but like getting ideas from outside of your normal circles especially can just do wonders for your creativity level
0: yeah yeah so okay so do you find that like everybody you've met has been super sincere or have there also been people that you kind of need to like weed it out and like figure out like oh like they only want like whether it's like they just want you because you're someone like that always like builds them up or like whether it's like oh they just want you to like mix something and then it's like oh and I'm done with you
1: no I I've had some really wicked experiences um it wasn't all roses um uh I was in a really Bad situation with a label once in France uh, we had I'm not going to mention the name the label, but uh, we started off it- it with a really good business relationship and it just went south and it almost came to fist you know a fist fight um, also like had like guns pulled on me when I was overseas uh, <laughs> you know I had like some really messy situations you know what I mean um it, it was because when you're planting seeds. Sometimes finding fertile ground requires like lifting up heavy rocks and under those rocks, like if you've ever, anybody out there who's ever done any gardening, you lift up a rock that's been there for a while, you're going to see some funky stuff crawling around. And it's important to know that there's a risk in doing that. Like people would look at me and be like, how did you, what are you, are you crazy? Like you just like went to a country and you don't even speak the language You know what I'm saying? So you could be, I would be in a room sometimes. um, There's like a a famous French artist I was doing music with and like everybody in his, his whole MO was like, I hate Americans. I was literally in his studio with like all of these Arabic guys. Everybody's like from Tunisia, Morocco. It's all like North African crew, right? Everybody. But they embraced me because they're like, you're different kind of thing. But I still had to have my antennas up. And I'll share a quick story. Michael Jackson died. So Michael Jackson died. And you know me. I'm like... New York hip hop soul kind of guy. So I know there's a lot of stuff about Michael that people say, but I I, I still hold on to like my love for Michael Jackson and his music. I haven't quite got on there yet where the, the, uh, you know, you know, I don't have to go into it, but anyway, I I find out that he died. My ex-girlfriend at the time is like on a phone call with me, like, yo, Michael just died. I'm like, what? (sighs) Like, I'm, I'm like sad. Right. So I go into the studio, mind you in this studio, these guys have like, Guns in there, they have like all kinds of drugs. It's like a mess in there. Like I should not be there, right? But I wanted to make this connection with this, this artist who was very at the time very well known and respected and also successful. Um, and I'm like, Ekutsa, Ekutsa si vous play, Michael Jackson, the And they looked up and everybody stopped, right? They're like, get out of here! Like, we don't, we don't care like we don't care about Michael Jackson and right then I was like oh I am not you know this, <laughs> you, you know you are not at home anymore you're oh, always yeah. home now Robin like tone it down
0: yeah all all they know is the stuff that we're like nah like but the music you know oh my god that's so wow I I, I love that <laughs> so obviously you speak what was that French? Was that French? A
1: little bit. I had to, you know, especially in France, I, I, I say that like in another life, I was a French man. You know what I mean? Uh, so I spent so much time there that I had to pick up something. I'm not fluid, but I can definitely like go somewhere and tell someone to like stop, leave me alone. Or, hey, please, can you come here? Can I have the phone number? Can I have a drink? I can like get by.
0: Yeah, that's that's super cool. Um, so you went there with 500 bucks. Did you find everything you were doing, like, profitable? Like, how, how did you survive just, like, doing it?
1: Yep. So at the beginning, it was really hard. I would say I was literally getting by by the skin of my teeth every day. I was lucky enough to have people back at home, especially from end of the week. God bless them because, you know, without them, I don't know how... I could have furthered myself in that space or we could have grown the movement. So they were, in a sense, funding what I was doing on a small level when it was like emergency time. Like I didn't sell any CDs. I didn't make any money from any shows that month. Then I needed to get a couple hundred bucks. Then something happened. I, um, I came back to New York after living there for a while. And then my phone started ringing and people were like, hey, we have a band we want you to be the front man of our band. We know the work that you've done in Europe and we want you to come join our band. So the first band I joined was called Funk Addiction. And, you know, we had a really great run and we did shows all over the South of France. One of my greatest moments of like doing music was performing at a beach festival. The sun was going down literally as our set was going with a full crowd, you know what I'm saying? Just like epic musician stuff, right? And with that relationship, it was Extremely profitable. I was I was able to take the hustle is this is like a, a ninja tip, for especially for my artists who are going to take the leap to do shows outside of the States. The ninja trick is if you save up the foreign currency, if the rates are higher or work in your favor with the American dollar. So at the time, the euro was stronger than the dollar. So when I brought a euro home, I was really bringing a home like a dollar fifty so for every, dollar, every euro I was earning, I was bringing home a dollar fifty. So it's like I was cheating. I was like, oh, my God. But a soda still costs a euro there. A soda still costs a euro here. It's just that right. I was using that to, like, save up money. So I was using – and another ninja trick, if they give you per diem, like, don't spend the per diem. Like, some people would get a – like, I would get a, a daily per diem to eat. If it was 50 euros or whatever it was, I wouldn't spend 50 euros on food. Who am I feeding? I'm, I would, like, spend – five euros <laughs> like i would get like a baguette with some tuna a beer and i would like eat it twice you know that would be my dinner and my lunch and i'm not even eating breakfast because i'm in a studio so I, instead of me spending the fifty dollars of per diem every day i would save that so those are two ninja tricks it's like pay attention to currency exchange if you're touring in europe and then also if you're getting per diem don't ball out and feel like you have to spend it stash it i was able yeah. to money to like get an apartment be able to be functional in new york city uh, it, it in, in Brooklyn, New York, and then still be able to go back and forth to tour, which is what I want. I was building up for for seven years.
0: Yeah, I mean, that is, like, super smart. And I feel like a lot of people, sometimes they just, like, get that money and then they are, like, excited and then, yeah, they, like, ball out and then it's like, oh, I don't even know where it went because I just was so excited. But, yeah, if you're, if you're being smart, yeah, you got to kind of stash that and then it kind of grows and then you're like, oh, you know. And then say, like, God forbid something happens and then it's like, now you at least have something safe that you can use and it's not like oh you got to do like credit card and then like boom all this stuff
1: Yeah, wow. i agree
0: um so what what does you kind of do after that after you joined your first band
1: yep so um the the band fell apart uh and honestly like uh, i say this all the time like now that i'm older and i'm looking back in retrospect, it it might've disbanded because of me, maybe some of the decisions that I made. um, And I'm really um, grateful to them for the opportunity, but I also believe that I may have handled things poorly without even knowing it now, maybe I know it. So I wish I could talk to them, but the band ended um, because I was doing a lot of other projects with other groups and bands. So, you know, because of that, I believe the the leader of the band felt like maybe I um, diluted the brand by, you know, it's like if Kirk Cobain, God Rest of Dead, went and did like an album with another band and came back and did another one, that could dilute the brand. And I think because right. of where I was, I looked at myself more as a free agent um, than a band member. I looked at myself more as like a mercenary than a band member, like, you know, a higher killer than a band member. And I think because of that, I may have I may have been the root cause of the band you know disbanding and splitting up, but they're still doing music just with another one of my bandmates is a singer. she's the front person now. but um I'm really you know regretful of that. I wish that I had thought that through. Um, so that's just another bit of advice that if you're in a band and you're like committed to a movement or a group or whatever it is, don't go too far outside of that. But, if you do have to entertain those thoughts, have open and clear conversations and discussions with your bandmates out of respect because i was i I was kind of an egomaniac at that time in my life, and I think because of that, I may have uh you know forced something to end that could have been very special so yeah. that's what happened with that that's how that ended
0: right okay I mean, yeah, I feel like that's really good um advice for someone who maybe like, they're really excited and they kind of want to do like everything. Um, so were you like signed to a contract or was it more kind of just like a casual thing? Like between you guys were just like, Oh, we're just like going to do this. Cause I, I know there's like some contracts where they even say like, you can't do other work with other people.
1: Yeah. So there was a contract in place, but it wasn't an exclusive contract due to that that I was recording solo music. So I was working at, at the time I was working on my solo album with a French label. I was working on my band with that label. And then I was doing a side project with another French band, um, which, you know. It that that might have been the cause of my main band, you know, right, kind of right, falling right. apart. At least my involvement in it falling apart. Again, they're still doing music, so yeah, there was paperwork in place, but it wasn't exclusive.
0: Okay. So, wow. Like how how did you manage doing all of these different projects at once? Like that sounds like a lot going on.
1: Um. You know, for me, I, I had, and this is like a blessing for me. The job that I was doing at the time, they loved me so much that they would give me these free passes. Like it would go up the chain to like the exec, you know? So I worked for the YMCA of Greater New York for 10 years, you know? And at that, at this time of my career, I was a part-time um, activity specialist where I was doing programs with kids, poetry, leadership development, stuff like that. And my boss would be like, okay, what is it now? Like, listen, I need to take three months off. <laughs> and he'd be like, oh my God, like, what what am I going to do with you? And i will be like, please. But they knew that I loved my work, right? Um, right. So they would create, uh, help me to create action plans to make sure that my stuff would get done for the time and that I could come back in seamlessly. Um, so that's kind of how I balanced it in terms of my life in New York. And then in terms of the amount of work that I was doing there, honestly, I didn't balance it well. I was... Uh, burnt out like I would do I would do 36-hour studio sessions like I was like no joke I was like and I prided myself I don't know if you know this um um grind like get up it's the grind like you know rise and grind you know I'll sleep when I'm dead that mentality I had you know, I was the epitome of that mentality. I was like, you know what? Like, I will sleep when I'm dead. I'll sleep when I get back to New York. We got to work. So my engineers would be like, yo, we got to go to sleep. I'll be like, I, right, I'm going to write, like, leave me. You guys go. When you, you come back, I'll be ready. Yeah. I would find wow. myself in that, Rob. I was like living it. Now, looking back, like by the time I was done, when I, when I took a break from music, I had totally shut it out. And it doesn't make sense to me. It didn't make sense to me until recently that the reason I believe that I was so cold turkey when I decided to stop pursuing a rap career is because I was burnt out. I was like over it.
0: Yeah. I mean, yeah, you even, like, saying that to me, I'm like, whew, like, I'm Crazy. tired just thinking
1: Can about, na- like... Take a nap! And I would be like, yeah. oh, oh my I did it, like, when you see that, we did eight joints tonight. But, you know, and, and not to say, like, the music was whack. I think the music was good. However, I believe that the quality of my creations, my, you know, my bars, my songs, whatever, the choruses, just the, in, the feelings of the song would have been better if I would have took a nap. Just take a nap. Yeah. You know, We'll take an eight hour sleep, but like go up to the room, take four hours and come back. And I felt like I was trying to outwork them. She's not. Yeah. cool.
0: Wow. So at what point were you like finally done when you were like, I am too burnt out to continue doing this?
1: I never stopped because I thought I was burnt out. So I, I I was still ready to go. What shifted for me was the birth of my first child. So my son was born in 2010. And when my son was born, I remember I had a show. Uh, uh, I had a tour for my album. It was called uh, Slum Ride Symphony. It was a really fun project. I did it with a bunch of producers called The Cavemen out in France. And I was promoting that. I was doing like a tour for that album. And um. One of the songs was featured on a film in the Cannes Film Festival. So we were really excited about that. It was just a really dope project. My son, my, um, my son's mother was pregnant with him while I was on tour. You still there, Rob?
0: Yeah, sorry. I got a sorry. phone call.
1: Okay. All right. So I was um, still, you know, on tour while she was pregnant. When I came back from the tour, she had him like two days later, right? So I could have missed oh, that. Oh, wow. Out. I could have missed yeah. that all. So then I go on my first tour when after you know after he's born my first tour, and right then I was like, like this is I'm coming to the end of the road with this because when I came back, I think it wasn't even a long tour. It was maybe six weeks. And you know, a little baby from like, if the baby is six or 12 weeks and then you come back when it's 18 weeks, it's a new baby, you know? So like, he's moving different. He's like, you know, different noises. You know, I don't remember exactly what it was, but I remember having that realization. Like, if I keep doing this, I'm going to miss out on something that I can't get back. Rap will always be there. This will not. And right then I just kind of like, in my mind started giving up. And the... Company I was working with at the time, they weren't ready to give up. They wanted to keep going, but I had to like make a decision that you know what this like this project will do. This project, but I don't think I can do more after this.
2: Artists, are you tired of the low streaming payouts from Spotify? Did you know that if you get sixty thousand monthly streams, you only earn two hundred and sixty-four dollars? Just to make a thousand dollars per month you need 227,000 monthly streams. These payouts don't even cover the cost of bribing playlist curators, let alone come close to the cost of producing your record. What if there's a way for you to actually sell your music for $20 or more per song? And if this were true, you could make $1,000 per month from just 50 sales. This means you could earn $100,000 per year for only 416 sales per month. Now to put that in perspective, to earn $100,000 per year from Spotify, it would take 1.9 million monthly streams. Now what sounds more realistic to you? Make $100,000 per year from 1.9 million monthly streams on Spotify or only 416 monthly sales on CinderTrack? CinderTrack is the opposite of a beat store. While beat stores allow established producers to sell tracks to aspiring artists, CenterTrack does the opposite. Established artists sell their raw multitracks to aspiring producers to use in their portfolio to get hired online. Your multitracks are the individual audio files you record during a tracking session. They include each individual instrument and vocal performance on their own separate track. They're the edited files you'd send to a mix engineer for mixing. But wait, if I sell my multitracks, what's stopping someone from using my tracks in their music? buyers are issued our portfolio license, which has a lot of legalese that basically says this. Any content created with your multitracks is automatically owned by the seller. In other words, if someone uses your tracks in their song, you now own their song. But here's the thing. Remember that center Track is the opposite of a beat store. Buyers aren't buying multitracks to release them. They're buying them to gain experience and build a portfolio so they can get hired online. If you ever tried to learn a mix, You know you can't even start until you write a song and record all the parts. But what if you're just a drummer, or just a guitar player, or just a vocalist? How do you build a high quality portfolio that allows you to get hired online when you're only one piece of the puzzle? With CenterTrack, buyers can make their own versions of your song. Whether it's doing their own mix or muting the drums and playing their own, they can share their versions on their CenterTrack portfolio page. This is a private page they can use to showcase their work while keeping them off of platforms like SoundCloud and YouTube and keeping them out of the public eye. The best part is that CenterTrack is completely free. We have a core belief that we shouldn't make money unless you make money. Upload your first five songs for free, and we just take a 20% sales fee. We also offer instant payouts, with no music distributor required. This means that if you make sales while you sleep, you literally wake up to money in the bank. Right now, we're running a promotion exclusively for podcast listeners, or we'll pay you $250 bonus once you upload your first five songs. Just use the promo code R-B-O-S at sign up. To join, head over to cindertrack.com and click Start Selling. Just fill out the sign up form and include links to your music. Once you're approved, you'll be contacted by your dedicated account rep who can help you with every step of the process. Also make sure to check out episode 11 of the Indie Music Money podcast for a full interview with me, Ben Turner, CEO of CinderTrack. Now, back to the podcast.
0: Wow. Yeah, I know. That's, I'm sure that's huge. Yeah, my um, my sister just um, had a baby two years ago now. And, like, that's not even my kid. But, like, yeah, when I would see her and it would be, like, now when I look at those, like, pictures when she was, like, a newborn, I'm, like, who even is this? Like, now it's, like, a little freaking person. So, yeah, I couldn't even imagine, like, how you would feel if that's your child. Wow. I mean, that is, that's like, that's really, really awesome of you to like take that, that step. Cause I feel like, you know, maybe if you wouldn't like who, who knows what would have happened. But yeah. So like, what did, after that shift, like what did you kind of do next in terms of like music?
1: So I had taken a hiatus from rap, but I was still like pursuing my rap career, but I was still doing a live event, a weekly live event with uh, another band that I work with in New York city called the melting pot band. And we had done this, this monthly event, um, live event with a full band, two or three rappers. And we would just have these, you know, these sessions uh, at pianos in New York city in the Lower East Side. And we did that for a number of years. So I kept doing that. And then finally I kind of started stepping away from that because um, You know, I got custody of my son. So before then, um, I was just, you know, kind of um, being a dad to him, but I wasn't with his mom. So it was kind of like one of those situations. But eventually it came to a point where I needed to get. Custody of him. So I went to court the whole deal um, and I got custody of him. And from there on, I had to kind of step away from the live performing. And I wasn't doing much music. I was growing in my um, career at the Y. I was, you know, I'm, I was moving up the ranks. I went from like part time to full time, you know, coordinator to director, director to senior director. So, you know, by the time I left, I was like second in command of like the second largest YMCA in New York City. And um, for music, I kind of had like wasn't really even thinking about it. You know, the most I would do is like uh, talk battle rap with my friends. You know, uh, a couple of my good friends are involved in a battle rap community. I, shout out to Iron Solomon, Poison Pen, you know, um, Nims. And you know, the most I would do is like watch some videos of my friends. And then um, one Christmas, my, my wife uh, brought home a present, which was an iPad. And she brought the iPad into the house so I'm like on an iPad and I saw they had GarageBand and I was like, oh, GarageBand, that's that thing, man. let me check it out. So I start playing around with it. Like, oh, that's cool. And then I keep doing it, keep doing it. I'm having fun and fun. And finally, I'm like, let me share this with somebody. My brother, his name is Yo Vinyl. He is uh, an accomplished DJ and producer. He's been a tour DJ for uh, Ron Fest, for the late, great Sean Price. He's been on tour with Norris Barkley, Lupe Fiasco. Like, he's like an official DJ, right? So my little brother, right? So I'm like, hey, man, I started making some beats. (laughs) He's like, (laughs) Like, speak up. Like I started making beats, and he's like, Okay, let me hear them. And I put them on for him. And he's like, That's all right, that's not bad. He's like, You should keep doing it. I swear to you. And he knows this, but I'll say it so your audience can hear. Like, when he said that, getting a green light from him gave me the validation that I was seeking to be like, I can be a beat maker, like I could be a producer. You know because there's a negative connotation yeah. with rappers who turn to producers, like, oh, could make it as a rapper, huh? Making yeah. beats, Oh, sorry about that, Robin. <laughs> right? It's not yeah. a cool thing, right? So I had that already in my head. How are people gonna look at me now that I'm doing that? But but when he told me that, it kind of made me feel like, you know what? Like, let me dig in. I upgraded uh from the iPad. I, I, I bought I bought a um a MacBook Pro. I went in and on serious plugins. I got my first MIDI controller. I started getting more equipment and more plugins. And that just kind of started my journey.
0: That's so awesome. Wow. That's like so fun. So did you like automatically just start like selling beats or like what was the the journey after that
1: yep so I didn't start selling beats until four years after making beats I was sharing it with my brother was one thing like sharing it with the public was a whole nother thing so I had convinced myself that I was doing it for creative therapy I had okay okay. I, I didn't need to sell beats because you know my, my job, I made good money at my job. And then once me and my wife got married, you know, now we have a two household, you know, two, two income household. Right. So we were good. Our kids are good. Like we didn't want, they didn't want for anything. We didn't want for anything. However, I did have a craving for doing more with my music. Because they started to get better and better. I was like, because I'm a rapper, right? So I'm not like right. just, I, I did not come from music and start making beats. I like was listening to producers for 20 years before I started making yeah. beats. And so when I started making them, I was like, yo, that's kind of dope. I could like, I don't even want to hear rappers on them. I just want to hear my beats. So let me like let me do like some instrumental albums. So I did a few instrumental albums on my own, went on YouTube to kind of study how to like, you know, mix and master your stuff. You know, It's not the best quality for what I do now compared to where I am now, but it's a part of my journey. And from there, that gave me the confidence to like put my music out and share. Once I did that, I started to reach out to artists to get on my beats, not to sell them anything, but just to be like, hey, Rob, I see you rap. You you want some beats?
2: Yeah,
0: yeah.
1: You want to rap with my beats, you know, and they'd be like, oh, send them over. No doubt. Never hear from them. I reached out to people in my rapper community (laughs) as well as, you know, people on Instagram. No one would bite. The one person that bit from my community is a rapper named Dayton. He's one of the most um, notable placement that I've got in my career. And he's like a really successful Christian artist. You know, he's like one of the Christian hip hop, you know, you know, he's the guy, one of the guys, top guys there. So he has his own label. He's also on a big Christian hip hop label. And he was like, nah, I like that. Like, send it over. I'm going to use that. So that he had the beat. Time went by a year later. He recorded it and released it with two really um, well-known artists. One is called 1K Few and one is, one is called Juan Day. And they're both on a really big uh, hip Christian hip hop label called Reach, which is like the top label with this guy named Lecrae. So right then you know connecting with him kind of was like oh if he rocks on my stuff that that's that's a good look let me just keep on asking people to get on my records then finally um I said you know what why don't I just ask them if they'll buy the beat like because I've been doing this I'm banging my head in the wall it's insanity right I'm doing it over and over again asking nobody's rocking on my beats I said hey man like uh, you I got some beats you you want to buy them how much? Like, oh, shoot. It's a conversation, right? <laughs> it's a conversation. So I said, well, let me prepare. If they're talking now, then I'm once I put value on it. Right. It separated me from the people who are asking them to put them get on my beat, like get on my beat. Right, right. Hey, are you looking for beats? So once I did that, I said, I got to find a niche, you know, within this space. I need to have a, a specific niche that will separate me from the others. So I went with just focusing on customized exclusives. Like, but that was my whole angle when I first started. So the first beat I sold was July of 2019 to a person in um, Australia. And my, my whole wow. swag was like, hey, listen, you know, like, I love what you're doing. It's really dope. I love that line. And this is another thing for any producers listening. This is a gem. Hey, like, I really love what you're doing. That line on that video, that rhyme that you said about the cat fire, man, keep doing what you're doing. And let me know if you need me to share anything, if you need anything. Boop. Dope. I don't want I'm not trying to sell you anything. I'm just shouting you out and giving you giving you roses. They respond back. Mind you, he has... 500 followers, maybe 200 followers. I never reached out to an account that had 10,000 followers, 20,000 followers. I looked to see who looks like a new artist. And then he would respond back with something like, oh my God, like, how'd you find me? And I'd be like, I was just looking for artists. You know, I like the, the Australian swag of the way y'all sound. You know, OZ hip hop is popping right now. And I want to show, show some support. Man, that's dope. Man, you make beats? Yeah, I make beats, man. How much are your beats? And that's, that's the trick. They'll ask for it. You don't have to sell it. You know what I'm saying? Because if I were to open with, hey, do you want to get on my beats? Hey, do you want to buy my beats? I'm leading with the ask. You always want to lead with the value, like give them the thing that they want, which in this case is a compliment. Just say it's, you know, the song is hot. Be sincere. Don't like just look at stuff and pretend and and have a, a, a fake script. You know what I'm saying? You can have a template, but just make sure that you inject something that's unique to that artist.
0: Yeah. I, I love what you said about don't have a fake script because like people hit me up and they're like, I like love your, your like art. And I'm like, I'm like a music manager. I'm like, uh, yeah. Like you, I'm like, so you're looking just on hashtags, but you didn't click through to my profile. Like that's awkward on your end. Like, you know, and that's, yeah, like that, that separates it so much.
1: Yeah. Wow. That's it hits sometimes. For some people, it works if, you, you know, it's a numbers game, right? So if you do that enough times, you'll get it, especially if you have it automated. Most of those are like bots, whatever it is. For me, I do use scripts, but my scripts always have a section for something that's specific to the, um, to the person. You know what I'm saying? Also, I have scripts for qu- frequently asked questions. So wow. I use um, I, and I don't know if your audience is familiar with it, but it's something that I'm like on a mountaintop telling people to use is if you have an Apple device to go into your settings and use text replacement because text replacement is like the wave. It, it made things so much easier for me because once you're sending people messages and you're like, hey, man, thanks for thanks for um, listening to beats. Let me know if you want any. Hey man, thanks for listening to Beats. Once you do that two or three times, stop and say, "How can I optimize my time?" Because I just spent yeah. five seconds or something that could have took me two seconds, and that's what text replacement can do for you.
0: Yeah, I am with you on that. I um, recently started that because I I try to like thank people who. Um, follow me just so they know I'm like a real person and if they genuinely like followed me because they like have a question maybe this is all they need to like get that lead in to like ask me the question so I I always try to be like hey thank you like blah 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 like it actually like means a lot to me Um, and if you need help you know um, and so yeah there was like this, this point where I had like sent it like three times and I was like dude I'm gonna go crazy and I'm like oh you know what I should do is the text replacement yeah so it's just so smart and like even if you just like have it based on like groups so yeah if like people ask you the same question like have something where you can just like respond to them to save you time and then like you actually will want to hit them back and not be like oh another one of these questions you know yeah so i think that's like huge um what do you what do you do about people who like you feel are kind of like trying to scam you or like they're not real do you, do you find that you, like, get that still, or is that more common with, like, a smaller account? Like, what, what do you
1: think? No, I get, st- people try to scare me every day. Like, it's, yeah. you know, you just got to kind of read it, you know, to the best of your ability. I think as people, on, I was actually talking about this last night on my live stream about fear. Like, back in the day, you know, in the prehistoric times, people were, like, scared of, like, dinosaurs and saber-toothed tigers. That's our, you know, our instinct is to be fearful of stuff, right? And now in the social media age, it's like, we're really weary of like people who are messaging us that we don't know, you know? So when when I reach out to a potential, um, you know, prospect, they're that way with me. Like when I do cold emailing, I do a lot of cold emailing that like, like who are you? How, is this real? So for me, how I handle it is really just I can see a like automated like group thread of like click on this link from a mile away. I'll just delete those. That's how I handle those. If someone is like a real person on the other side, trying to do the, you know, whether it's Spotify playlist, whatever they are targeting me for, honestly, and this is going to sound really messed up, but I just play along. I'm just like, They're like, hey, man, really like your profile. I'm like, oh, I'm like, nice opening. He didn't ask me for anything. I was like, cool, thank you so much, man. I see that you do so-and-so. Yeah, we do Spotify playlists. And then they give me the big block, $99. no. I'm like, that's dope. He's like, yep. He's like, yeah. So do you like it? I was like, absolutely. (laughs) He's like, great, great, great. So um, would you like to do our services? I was like, how much do they cost? So like, I would just engage until it's a point where I'm like, I don't have time for it. And mind you, that's like an engagement over a couple of days because I'm not like going back and forth. As I'm responding to my emails, I'm just giving everybody an honest response. And just like for him, I'm like, yeah, it is actually a good deal. And then when they get to closing me, I might say, Well, I'm not really looking for that services, but thanks for trying.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I um I'm I'm a songwriter too. So I have a like band and we like just started like putting out um uh content and like and like covers. Um and I I had someone uh hit me up and they're like do you want to like write us a song and at at first i'm like weary i'm like yeah sure you know so i'm like playing along i'm like sure um and then they like tell me this stuff it's like for their uh for their kid's birthday and it's like one of those things where i'm like this could be a scam but also it like could genuinely just like be a mom you know like i wasn't sure and like i like clicked on their thing and they had like a hundred follower or sorry um thousand followers and I was like oh this seems like pretty real and then it like got to the to the end and they are like trying to send me a like e-check kind of a deal and I'm like oh no like that's not real I'm like oh you just became very very scammy and they're like I'm not a scam Mr. Man and I'm like yeah that's how a real person would handle that so like yeah people need to be like wary but it's also one of those things like if you fall for it, you kind of got to learn from that. You know what I mean? Like how how else? Yeah, I don't know. So like, yeah, there are like, two sides to it, yeah it's
1: just super weird
0: but okay
1: the biggest scam to watch out for especially for artists who are like stirring the pot a little bit and getting some momentum is the verified account checker people so anytime somebody leaves a comment on your page and says oh hit me up for that blue check hit me up if you want to get verified stay away yeah it's not a thing you know, and if they, if it is a thing, it's like a hacky HTML kind of deal that you don't want any parts of. If you get verified, get verified the right way, get some press, you know, go, there's the application that you can do on Instagram, get some press, make sure you go through the proper channels and wait your time.
0: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And like, how, how do you feel about, um, people who try to like, sell followers and, like, sell, like, comments and stuff like that?
1: Yeah, yeah. So, for me, you know, er- early on in the game, you know, I was, like, testing everything. You know, that's one of the reasons why I had to, like, switch accounts. And my rapper name account, I, I, w- I kind of closed up the shop on that, left a a note on the door was, like, if you're looking for me, I'm over here, you know, because I had caused so much damage to my account by testing stuff like that out. So somebody tells you, hey, give me five bucks and I'll get you, you know, a thousand followers. It's kind of hard to say no to that. However, I think that uh, people are becoming more knowledgeable on how platforms like Instagram operate and how that could negatively impact your, you know, your authentic, you know, organic growth. And um, so for me, like, I I strongly recommend and advise that you never pay for any type of, you know, automated or, you know, generated computer generated engagement. I do believe that influencer marketing is um, a respectable way to get. Traffic to your page. So if there's a page out there that looks legit and they seem authentic, like you go to their page and they have, let's say, fifty thousand followers, and then on each one of their posts they have at least two or three thousand comments. Comments seem like real people talking, not just fire emojis or generic words, and they seem reputable. Um, specifically, if you can reach out to one of the people on their page that they've shared their post or they've, that the people that have done business with them and get a legitimate review, then I'm okay with that. But in terms of like paying some like website some
0: random yeah yeah if,
1: if, if you if I give you five dollars and you give me five thousand followers, that's like a bad look.
0: Yeah, 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 for sure. Um, yeah. And I feel like they say that stuff. Cause it's like, people are like, Oh, I really want that thousand followers. But like, as I know, as like enticing as it sounds, you kind of just got to make the smart choice, which is like, no, you need to just, you got to wait. And just like, the more you post, the more like organically you'll just grow. Um,
1: and that's yeah. optics too, Rob. Like people are, the vanity metrics is like an optics based, you know, achievement. So Yes. If you have a million followers, that's really dope. Like somebody goes to your page and they're like, oh, blue check, a million followers. Great. However, people who are really about it know how to see, know how to like identify fake followers. Like if I go to your page and you have 50, 60,000 followers, but then I go to your last post and you have like 10 views on your video, 100 even 100 views on your video. It's like that can't be real. How do I have more views than you and I'm like I have 3000 followers, you know what I'm saying? So I think that although it seems really cool, it depends on what the artist is looking for. If you want to be able to say, "Hey, look, screenshot, got my million followers and you're not using your Instagram for business or to grow your fan base, then that's cool, do that." However, if you're trying to like build uh like real authentic connections with a fan base using social media you want to have like we talk about the thousand the true thousand fans all the time um you want to have uh i'd rather have a thousand true fans than one million ghost followers or like people in you know india who have one follower no posts and no profile picture
0: yeah same yeah yeah that's big um Okay. So back to the, uh, to the like money stuff. So you were selling beats and then were you finding that like profitable or what, what kind of came next after that?
1: So I did well, I, I, you know, I, I made like a few thousand dollars in my first month of doing beats. Like I tried like five or six people, um, before I got my first sale. So I was like trying this thing like, hey, I make custom beats. I'll make the beat just for you. It's like your your beat. And people are like, oh, that's cool. That's cool. Then I tried something, which is you know something that I still do today. I would do the email seek or the um the text DM sequence with them, and then at the end when they were warm enough, I would hit them with a video message. So I'd be like, "Hey Johnny, I hope everything is cool over there in Australia. It's Robin checking in from the United Nations. I was thinking about our international connection. I'm really excited about connecting with you. Please let's go ahead and make this happen. Hope you're safe. Talk to you soon." And like they'd be like, "Bing PayPal, Bing PayPal." So. I think for me that worked well, you know what I'm saying? Because I would, I, I I was using my setting as a part of my strategy. Like, Hey, like look at me in front of the empire state building. And when people in like a small town in, in New Zealand, see that they're like, Oh, that's my producer. You know what I'm saying? So, um, yeah, I did okay at the beginning. Um, but it wasn't until I started to, uh, you know, make beat packs and, um, do the Midi money course and and join that whole movement that I started to see consistent you know growth and honestly it's 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 I have good months and I have bad months you know what I'm saying one thing I would tell any creator out there in any field you know what I'm saying is that there's a compounded effect when it comes to being a creator like this is not especially music it's not like an easy field it's like it's like one of the hardest fields like you want to be a successful musician ah you're better off going to medical school be a successful doctor that's a lot easier than this classes might be have to do a lot more um, in classroom training but the training and the hard knock stuff we have to do is no joke so i have good months that i might make a few hundred dollars I have uh, really good months where I might make a couple thousand dollars. And I think the key is to know that the relationships that you're building, if you focus on relationships as opposed to the transactions, that the person who linked with you a year ago and got on your email list has been in communication with you on, to some level on social media, when they're ready to buy, they'll buy. Don't rush them. You know what I mean? Uh, whatever you're selling, whether it's a t-shirt or actual you know, um, beats or whatever it is.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I think that just becomes part of you're getting your like, you know, thousand true fans or like thousand like true, like people who are going to like support you and what you're doing. Cause if you just keep saying like, Oh, I have this, this, and like later on, Oh, I I'm selling this. There might be something that really clicks with them where they're like, Oh, that's what I've been waiting for you to sell for me to actually bite, you know? Um, yeah. So like, where, where would you say you're at now?
1: Yep. Um, I think, yeah. you know, things have changed. Me and my family, we moved, the, we moved out in New York City. We moved to the Atlanta area. So we're in Atlanta now. Uh, we bought a house. Um, I'm no longer working for um, the Y or doing any nonprofit leadership work. I might go back into that once COVID kind of dies down. So right now I'm just, uh, if you can see the background, I'm like a homeschool teacher. You know, I teach my, I take care of my daughter in the day. Um, my, my wife is working virtually so she's at home as well um so we're just kind of enjoying life right now um in terms of music i'm like grinding really hard on just kind of building my community Uh, i'm taking a leap of faith into the TikTok world in 2021 which is something that um big shout out to chris from wave formation he inspired me to do that in one of our clubhouse chats and he um, I want to just shout him out. And also I want to shout out my man Rise Hendrix Music. If you guys don't know Rise Hendrix music on TikTok, he's like a huge creator over there. He has like a half a million followers and he's an old friend from the end of the week EO Dub days um, in those, you know, open mics. And he's been mentoring me on just kind of learning how that works. So that's really a big goal for me in 2021, trying to lay down some roots on TikTok to see if I could grow my community and just serve more artists.
0: Hi. I love that. I feel like that's exactly what I'm trying to do, which is why I had you on the pod. Cause we're, you know, just gotta th- help each other out.
1: Two robs on a pod.
0: <laughs> Hell yeah. I love that. I would
1: say also uh, for making money, I would encourage um, artists and musicians and creators to get into affiliate marketing. Um, you know, it's, It works for me as well so like like you said earlier like having multiple income streams is really important and if you have a um a base of you know uh fans or a community what's wrong with you sharing other people's services or products so for a long time i had like a scarcity mentality where it was like i'm not showing them your beats like why would I show them your beats? You know, they yeah. might like your beats better than my beats, and I might lose my customers to you. I would literally, Rob, go through my um, new followers, and I was blocking producers. I was like, "Nope, won't be open. <laughs> you can't come in." Like, "Nope." <laughs> what do you do? Oh, nope, blocked. And then, then I like took this training, and it just like instead of having competitors creating partnerships is it just changed everything. So, uh, I know you work with Lee, Lee has been super supportive and he, me and him, uh, you know, he gave me a bunch of his beats for my beat pack, you know what I'm saying? So I like promote him to every time I sell a beat pack, you know, he gets some kind of connection with a new fan or a new artist. So like, for me, I think it's all about us just building community as creators.
0: Yeah for sure. And like the more value you give to other people, the more they're just going to shout you out to people that they work with too, you know? So it's just like, yo, you have to meet this person who is like grown my, yeah, it's just, it's almost like stupid if you're not. Cause it's like, Hey, we're all trying to just help each other. It's not like I'm trying to steal your customer. It's like, no, I have other stuff to offer, you know?
1: Yep. And if anyone is interested in becoming an affiliate with Robin Marks, they can just reach out to me. I'll gladly like put them on it. It doesn't like cost me anything to do. it. It is just about just doing a few things on the back end. but I'm always looking for people who want to like spread the word about what I'm doing. So, and also if I could compensate, compensate them for doing that, then so be it.
0: Yeah, for sure. Okay. So where can, uh, you know, people find you if they want to learn more?
1: Yep. Um, you can find me at Robin Marks, um, at, um, on Instagram, on Twitter, um, as well as TikTok and Clubhouse. And, um, you know, I'm launching a brand new program. It's called Robin Marks live. It's going to be every, Thursday at 11 p.m. I did my first episode last night. It's a, uh, you know, a, a podcast that we're going to record live. So we'll, it's going to be airing on Twitch. It's airing on YouTube. It's also airing on Facebook. So it's some crazy simulcast stuff that I'm working on, but it's really fun. So if you want more information about that, just hit me up on IG. The best way to get me is to just send me a DM on IG and I'll get back to you, you know, as soon as possible.
0: Awesome. Robin, thank you so much. This has been so great. Um, I'm sure I'll have you on later because I'm sure we have a lot more that we could talk about. But yeah, this was so great. So thanks again.
1: Thank you so much. And um, I'm looking forward to coming back and thank you so much for the opportunity.
0: Yeah, of course.
1: All right now.